I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is not Dan Lyons. It is Andy Pregler. The other New York news writer, one of three. One of one of three New York City-based writers. Almost everybody else is based in the uh, state of New York, save myself at this point. We've uh, got the coast-to-coast side covered, but, you know, Syracuse is, is neither location. It's close <laughs> enough to us to make it work. Exactly. Um Andy, I know you're you're only infrequently on this podcast, and it seems like you're only on this podcast when we start talking about uniforms. I have a brand. It is as brand as Dr. Gross was capitalized brand, but uh, I'm I'm glad to come around when the uniform topic uh, iron is hot because instead of screaming into the ether that is Twitter, I get to scream at you, which uh, is slightly more responsive. <laughs> yeah, I, I usually try to respond when people scream at me. Um, let's, uh, to catch everybody up who's been like, you know, under a rock for the past week or so, um, Syracuse has had this kind of turning stone event, uh, for football for a bit. Uh, a lot of people heard about it before it was like, even like officially announced with details and everything. Um, then earlier this week, there were some teasers, uh, sent out about that included what looked like a face mask. Um, seemed pretty obvious based on that. John Wildhex conversations, uh, with the media that this is going to be a uniform reveal event. That's awesome. Uh, at the same time, it's at Turning Stone. Uh, we'll get into that, but I think first and foremost, um, what do you want to see from these uniforms and, and kind of what are you most excited about in terms of getting away from our current set? Yeah, I, I think it's been known by people inside the athletic department that new uniforms were coming based off of the language that John Wildhacks has been using. Like you, you don't host a press conference the week before your uniform reveal and th- without knowing you're going to get the question. So the fact that his response was, you know, wait and see coy, coy, wink, wink, whatever means that they're they, or at least they should have been okay with the idea that this, that this Friday event is telegraphed as heck that it's a uniform review. Um, and I think that they've done the right thing in kind of showing very basic elements, let people continue to talk about it, but everybody just wants something more basic. Um, I think 50% of our fan base would be okay. If you literally just took Illinois jerseys and gave them to Syracuse and put a block S on it instead of a block I like a little bit more differentiation just so that way we stand out more seeing that our logo is about as generic a college logo as you can get. Uh, so having a traditional uniform that's still slightly different than what other teams that wear orange wear would be nice. And, um, you know, I've got some sources who have seen the jerseys. Uh, I've got some people inside of athletics who are all saying that this is going to be a big win for the football department and for John Wildhack at the athletic department. So I have full faith that I think if nothing else, the bare minimum for these jerseys are going to be 
everybody is going to be relatively happy with them. They are not going to try to do something that fans don't want. And the most important part in all this is, uh, will we be able to buy them? And will we be able to buy it in the shade of orange? Uh, that actually is orange. So I, those those are the big things for me. Yeah, I think that's all fair. And I know you and I talked about this kind of pre-episode, but I think it's good for everyone to know that too that's listening. Yeah, I, I think that the big things for me, obviously being able to buy maybe a couple different varieties of jerseys. Um, I know I, I mentioned to you when I was in Salt Lake City this past weekend, I was walking around Utah's school store and just a, a just it, any any option you could possibly think of in terms of merchandise, in terms of, you know, uh, like throwback helmets that are full size, mini helmets that are that, that, that are throwback, um, any sort of, you know, T-shirt, team, jersey, anything, all just kind of lining the walls. And it was just kind of a, a reminder to me that we are a little bit behind in that department. And hopefully, hopefully uh, this announcement and the continuation of the Nike deal um, helps address at least a little bit of that. Um, going forward. I know for me, my big uh, things for this announcement at least are uh, getting rid of platinum, uh, getting rid of the stupid number font and anything else really like is, is just a pleasant surprise. Uh, I, I think that, you know, we, we've had some really like weird looking jerseys these past few years and there's some positive memories associated with them because of last season and because of Eric Dungey and because of Dino. But I, I think most people at the same time, at least within the Syracuse fan base, would be more than happy to just put these out to pasture. Yeah, like I'm, I have a Navy jersey that um, I got when I hosted a pep rally as a student. And I, I like the jersey material itself. It's probably one of the nicer replica jerseys that I have. It's lasted five plus years at this point with, with no damage to it. And I, I wear the crap out of that thing every football season. Um, but at the same time, it's it's like that T-shirt that you don't really want to wear out in public, even though it's super comfortable just because, you know, it doesn't look right. Um, so I think the biggest thing that we can and Orange fans should expect is to we're going to lose the platinum. We're going to lose a lot of the I think probably we're going to lose the font, although the fonts kind of 50 50. But I would I would assume that we're going to lose the font. Um, and then I would also bet that that 44 Axe logo is probably gone. I think that the university, um, through kind of some of the fallout that we saw the logo debacle on the Nike website, is the university on a whole is making a commitment to very traditional uh, and to a very more corporate version of higher ed. And that means that the Block S is here to stay. And that means that the Block S is the definitive look and brand portion recognition of all teams and no team gets to kind of have their own individual markings um other than what to do on social like because you have a really talented designer in the case of soccer but the block s is is what they want front and center in any kind of partnership with nike and so uh, i think and you know this kind of leads into the turning stone situation where uh there's a certain way that the university wants to be and athletics has always kind of gotten some freedom from that because they're athletics and they're uh, a big portion of why people pay attention to Syracuse. Uh, but Kent and John Wildhack seem to be aligned, at least in that regard of we want to 
have this seem very professional. We want to kind of be this corporate-ish kind of environment in some ways. And that means the Block S is here to stay, much to my chagrin. And I think that there's a solid amount of fans who are have no feelings towards the Block S. But um, I know Kevin posted it in our internal Slack and it got tweeted out by a few of us that there was the ACC brand recognition uh, survey done pretty informally, you know, wouldn't take anything that to, to heart. Uh, but SCU being at the bottom as of with the block S uh, below and a recognizable or, a, you know, a favorable logo is thing I think we've all kind of felt since the block S was introduced. Yeah, I mean, granted, I think like the Jagged S that it replaced, like wasn't really the mark either. Um, I I think that, like, I I struggle with the corporate looking Block S and and everything around that just because I I like it. I think because when it's colored in orange, obviously it looks like Syracuse, but uh, without it, without the, uh, the word mark above it, like it definitely could create some confusion. I think it looks crisp on football uniform stuff. I think on everything else, it's fine for the most part. But, you know, you look at like Syracuse's logo and image history, and a lot of that is not so corporate and, and is kind of fun. And there's a lot of like, you know, bubbly type letters and the script, obviously. Uh, Otto in, in, in and of himself is, is, is kind of goofy. Um, you know, by definition, I just think, again, I, I don't think it's a bad thing that the Block S, you know, is kind of the, the official and corporate face of Syracuse and Syracuse Athletics. I just think that, I, I just hope, I guess, that it doesn't um, move us too far away from, from our roots. And some of those, I feel like, are, are, are what makes Syracuse unique, at least from a, from a visual standpoint. Yeah, and I think this is probably the, the balance that Nike and Syracuse to kind of strike moving forward is that we as a fan base want traditional typical stuff like we 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 have some really strong nostalgia goggles um these conversations about uniform design especially with nike nowadays is that when you say traditional they see that as bland and they go traditional as in really simple blockings and really simple patterns and you get a pretty basic uniform with one key design element inside the collar and then everything else is bland. And I think what Syracuse fans mean when they say traditional is, yeah, we don't need anything crazy. We don't need platinum. We don't need these crazy letters. We mean Syracuse traditional. We don't mean Alabama or Ohio State traditional. Uh, and so we want something that does have some basic uh, elements to it. But, you know, when, when it goes for those extra flares of personality, instead of getting hyper slanted numbers, we want something that's more retro, but Syracuse retro. Yeah, and I think you're clearly right there. I think that that is the tough balance. And it's one that I think because that I, I know I've always said that we don't need an alum to be a coach or an administrator or anything else. But I do think having John Wildhack at the post he's at allows us to kind of strike that balance better than most schools would be able to do um, with somebody that's, that's not necessarily, you know, um, I guess endemic to the, to, to the athletic community and endemic to um, just the nostalgia factor there. So I, I think we're in good hands. I honestly like, 
I know a lot of fans are just like, just throw out the 90s uniforms. We don't want the 90s uniforms. We definitely don't want blank helmets. And we're not going to get blank helmets. Like, I I can guarantee that. I've said this to people before. Like, there's only a handful of teams that can pull off the blank helmets. It's because of the success that they've had with those those marks or lack thereof for decades upon decades. And that's why they're recognizable. And, like, Syracuse has – is very much departed from, you know, those, those days where, you know, the, uh, the, the blank helmets and the very kind of basic, you know, blue, orange, and white uniforms like stood out comparatively to everybody else's. Like, I mean, realistically, they never really did. If if you look at like what Illinois and what Virginia was wearing at the time, I I think there is some balance to strike. I hope we, I hope we find it to some extent. And I, I, I do have faith that it won't be bland. I just hope it's not, I just hope, it, I just hope it's not just the nineties jerseys, but I also hope it's not like, you know, your typical Penn state um, set. That's just really, really like neutral. And, and, and I, I don't think that's what Syracuse fans want either. I think some striping element, things like that, uh, that we found success, success with in the past, um, the Maroon teams in particular, um, could at least be like welcome back um, pretty well. Yeah, I I ultimately they're probably going to be a hybrid of Virginia and Illinois. Um, I think those three jerseys are going to look kind of similar, but they're going to be unique in their own ways. So people are going to be happy with the end product of it. There's a, a misspelling of Bavers or something ridiculous. Uh, but the, overall, you know, leading up into it, I don't love the turning stone element like uh, you alluded to at the very beginning of this conversation. But it, it feels like this is going to be a Nike event. feels like they're going for the Nikeification, which isn't a word. And it is, there's going to be probably lights. There's going to be a DJ. There's going to be smoke. Dino's going to get up there and and do a, a half, you know, a half attempt at a motivating speech of some kind, and he's going to appeal to all the recruits, and it's going to look great uh, when they're sending it out to you know incoming, trying to reach for the program four or five years from now. Um, but I think for a lot of fans here, it's just going to be like, why are we doing this? We, we, we should have done this a different way. We should have done this a Syracuse way instead of a Nike way. But again, when you sign on with Nike, uh, there are certain times when you play by their rules. And this is, this is one of those moments where it's pretty clear that Syracuse is playing by Nike's rules. Yeah, I mean, I pointed it out in the article too. Like, I didn't want to make it seem like I was just raking Syracuse over the coals. I, I think, you know, the having the event 40 minutes from campus, having it at Turning Zone in particular, given the weirdness around college sports betting in New York and how you can't even place a bet on Syracuse at Turning Stone uh, if you wanted to, just because, uh, you know, New York State teams are, are not included in the group that you can place bets on. Uh, I also think just in general, like having a 21 and over event, um, having it again, an event that's 40 minutes from campus, um, never mind where other Syracuse fans and season ticket holders live. I mean, obviously there's plenty of fans in Utica. There's plenty of season ticket holders there, but do think that because of all the fact that again, it's a Friday night, there's, there's dress code, there's all this stuff. There's just a lot of, just a lot of factors that prevent a lot of people from going. And I don't think it's, it's so, so exclusive that, you know, that this is just, you know, a, a like 
big money donors event only, but at the same time, uh, I, I don't necessarily love the aspects here that um, that do, you know, pretty much make it a, a, a non-family event, which is weird for, you know, a team that really needs family buy-in. Um, it's not going to be, you know, catering to kids or most current students or like local youth teams or any of that. Like, to me, I just think it's maybe a missed opportunity that you could have used this if, if it was in Syracuse proper to sell tickets, sell merchandise. Seems like a big, uh, you know, just missed opportunity for for revenues and for some hype uh, within the within the Syracuse immediate community. If this event had been taking place while school was in session, and you've got you know the the juniors and seniors who are twenty one and older at Syracuse getting bussed out to this event, I almost feel like that would work better because you've got this youthful population there. It really does kind of this is for for kids uh, or at least for that college demographic. But instead, you're doing it in summer in Syracuse. I don't. I I can't a hundred percent say. All I can say is that you know when I I went to Turning Stone for the first time. Um, this uh the, this uh spring to check out stuff for my wedding i'm getting married in the area up there and i am legitimately uh going to be surprised if there's more than 50 people under the age of 40 at this event like it just it just feels like we're not this event isn't hitting the right buttons for the people that syracuse needs yeah and admittedly like you know i, I talked to chris carlson about this on twitter um, in a conversation, I think some other people chimed in on, uh, I think, you know, I talked about it obviously in Slack and in the comments uh, on the blog, I think that there's obviously benefits and I don't, I don't want anyone to think that this is like an either or situation. Like, I, like either you do, either you do this event, you know, in Utica at turnings, like around, in the Utica area, in you know, Verona for, for locals that are going to get pissed off about me overgeneralizing. Um, you can either, like, you don't have to just do the uniform event there or not do it or not do an event there at all. Like you could do a turning stone event, you know, throw a bone to uh, to an athletic sponsor, have Dino and wild hack show up, do a Q and a, that whole thing that they've done in numerous other cities around upstate New York, out here in LA and in San Francisco, like plenty of other spots. Like you have that, that you can do a turning stone. And then you can also have like the week before that, or even a few days before that, have the Syracuse based event, that caters directly to, you know, local fans. I think that, I think that, that the thinking here is right, that you want to get Utica fans more involved and you want to get fans from outside the Syracuse immediate area more involved, but I don't necessarily think that this is the right call for the, the uniform event where um, everybody was, has been pining for this and, and screaming for, for this for, for the last few years. And now you, you relegate the news to, um, I mean, yes, Bleacher Report's involved here, so I'll admit that. But you're basically relegating the news to, you know, late Friday night um, to, like, like you said, a handful of people, almost all of whom will be over the age of 40. Yeah, it, it's, it, it just doesn't add up to me as capitalizing on what I think, and this is, this is a pretty broad generalization, and I, I want to get checked on this by people, um, but this this feels like a big moment in John Wildhack's tenure as athletic director because I think one of the biggest questions that he's had to face has been what is the future 
it really feels like something that was bungled by previous administrations. And here's the big wig from ESPN with arguably probably the most visible aspect of the Syracuse athletic department. How does he handle this? And it feels like this should be the biggest celebration as, uh, as possible. And again, maybe they view this turning stone thing as being the biggest version of that celebration. I personally think that it could be bigger if they were just more strategic about different elements of it. But then again, this is kind of speaking from the perspective of Syracuse having uh, full control over this. Um, I personally do not think that Syracuse had full control over this. I think Nike had a lot more to do with it than anyone will admit. And that's, that's a key part of it. I mean, you've, I've never been involved in a Nike uniform reveal. I, I, know that there's been a couple of different weird uniform events that Syracuse has been a part of with Nike. Um, I don't remember if you covered the form unveiling uh, for basketball stuff that happened here uh, in New York, or it happened out in Seattle a bit ago, but I remember just reading about it and there being the line of Nike only cares about the being mentioned online and just cares that people are talking about. They don't care how or why you're talking about it. They just care that it's being talked about. I mean, if that's what they want. <laughs> I guess that's fair. Uh, <laughs> in any case, we're, we're going to cover it plenty. We're going to talk about it. We have another article that's going to be going up Thursday. So that's today for most people listening. Um, just talking about, you know, what we expect and, and things that, and definitely like marks that we want uh, us to hit, as well as, you know, just some brand jokes and, and, and the usual. So stay tuned for that. Uh, while we're here, Andy, as you know, we do our customary uh, halftime of um, beer. So I'm going to take a quick break for our sponsor. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. And we're back to talk about beer. So, uh, Andy, I know you've taken off too much beer consumption as you, uh, as you plan for your wedding. But what have you been drinking lately? Beer, bourbon, or otherwise? Yeah, you mentioned that I've been doing a much better job of uh, when I go out and have a beer. I tried the ball league. We won our league championships, so there were celebrations afterwards. And the bar had three dollar Bud Heavies, so that's the most recent thing I was drinking. Um, but over the weekend, I had um, the Brooklyn Brewery Summer Ale. That's probably my favorite summer ale, mostly because it's the cheapest summer ale that you can get in uh brooklyn at any point in time since brooklyn brewery i feel like has an obligation to be on tap at every single bar in this borough and it's usually the cheapest beer option on draft which is great because it's a solid summer ale it's not super offensive it doesn't try to do any of the citrus stuff that a lot of other summer ales do but it's light macro beer um and then i went to a mets game and a yankees game uh i had a goose ipa um, at the Yankees game, which is just the solid typical IPA that they have. And the Mets have a lot more beer options. And I went there uh, with an Allagash White from Omegang. 
that was that was real tasty. So getting getting lots of good light beers in, and I'm really happy that baseball stadiums have upped the beer. Yeah, a lot of them have. Um, I know some of them are a little more, uh, you know, price problematic than others. Um, L.A. has a craft beer scene inside. Like, well, L.A. has a craft beer scene in general, but there's there's one in Dodger Stadium. The problem is it's incredibly expensive. Same goes for San Francisco. I feel like um, out in Denver and up in Seattle, it's a little bit, or at least last time I was at both uh, ballparks, um, it was a little bit more um, cost friendly. I know, um, I know, for the most part, City Field is is far more affordable from a beer perspective than you would usually think for a for a New York venue. So I do appreciate them for that, um, as well as the, the years of Mets fandom that I have begrudgingly. Yeah, it's um, it's always the joke of if you're at the Mets game, you're there to drink. You're not there to watch baseball, uh, which. To be fair, I was there to watch some baseball, and then the Mets started playing very badly. And as somebody with no horse in the game, I just enjoyed drinking some beer and watching the Mets fans around me have a legitimate screaming match about whether or not Ohio is considered part of the Midwest. So, I mean, that's fun. I would consider it definitively part of the Midwest, however. I, I would too, but this guy was vehemently arguing that it was not part of the Midwest, and our argument was then, where do you put it? Like, I would not consider Ohio the Northeast in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, that's that's problematic. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it was fun because I'm from Pennsylvania. I was with a must have been from Ohio because he did not consider himself the Midwest. That's stupid. Uh, exactly. Uh, it's a Mets game. Of course, it's stupid. That's fair. On my end, I had a bunch of different things in Salt Lake City. Um, I know when we when Syracuse faced Baylor in the first round of the NCAA tournament this past year, uh, Curried, uh, one of our commenters, did a great job of uh, rounding out a lot of what you should do and see in Salt Lake. He lives right around there. So I had plenty of tips. Um, one of the bigger ones people should know, uh, at least until November, the cap for uh, – Beer on draft is 4%, uh, kind of creates a bit of a challenge for brewers, but also like a good one because then you have to do a lot with little. Um, if you buy stuff in cans or uh, or in bottles, you can buy higher gravity things. Um, so I, I kind of balanced that out a little bit. Went to uh, Keto's Brewing um, in the southern part of Salt Lake City, had a bunch of different things from them, grabbed some cans, um, including... Their coffee cream ale. I had their double dry hop pale ale. That was pretty good. Uh, the coffee cream ale, though, was honestly like a really surprising winner for the weekend. Um, also had their New England pale ale. Uh, and their grapefruit pale ale were pretty good, too. From uh, Squatters Craft Beer, they had a Hop Rising Tropical um, IPA. That was super good. Uh, that one was in a... That one was in a can, so it was a lot higher alcohol, obviously. Um, I went down to uh, Templin Family Brewing, uh, frequently known as TF Brewing. Uh, really cool spot. Uh, would not have been out of place um, in any city in California. Had their uh, American Avenue Pale Ale. Uh, that was really refreshing. So had from Two Row Brewing, the uh, 24K Golden Ale. That one was all right. Um, yeah, nothing crazy. Uh, they they had some good beer there for sure. Um, I was there with a you know nine-month-old. So can't say that I was enjoying the, the full extent of, uh, of Utah beer. Um, I've been there before, though, and, and, and have enjoyed plenty. So I feel like 
while I might have quote unquote missed out, it's not like I I, I wasn't aware of, of of what it has to offer, and 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 I've drank plenty of it in the past. No, those those all sound uh, really good. Uh, I'm I'm very much jealous of uh, your beer trips. They always seem to hit some really really good spots, and uh, you know. Salt Lake City seems like a really fun place that not a lot of people would think is a fun place. So you and other commenters have added it to my list of places to eventually go when I can travel a lot more. Yeah, I highly recommend it. It's it's cheap. It's growing. There's a lot of, again, fun bars and restaurants and, and breweries there. Um, it's not like a super crazy scene. So, you know, anyone over 25 is probably not looking for that anyway. So... It's a great city for that. Uh, my next beer trip will be in Boise come August. So I will have plenty more to share there. Boise is a, it's a very quickly growing city. It's got a very quickly growing craft beer scene. So I, I'm pretty excited to spend some time there in a couple of months. I mean, uh, you, you have to let me know if there's any kind of craft beer that's called Murder Smurf. Um, because one, RIP PA uh, podcast ain't played nobody. Uh, but two, it just seems like you've got to have at least a couple of Boise State football themed uh, beers out there. It just this seems like a no brainer. I, I will definitely look around. I promise. <laughs> uh, on that note, uh, we kind of pivot to something that is a little uh, podcasting played nobody um, ish at, at this podcast, and that is uh, <laughs> the, the the annual. Uh, trip where Dan and I decide to preview other conferences uh, instead of the ACC until we get to the ACC later on in the summer. Uh, and each week we go down the list of teams that are worth mentioning, teams that may not be worth mentioning to most other podcasts. Uh, we try to talk with some amount of confidence uh, about the teams, what we expect, things like that. Um, Andy has informed me that while he uh, will be participating in our conversation today, <laughs> he, uh, we might not have the, you know, extent of, um, of, of, I'd say, in-depth knowledge and enthusiasm about these MAC teams that, that, that some of us might have. That's fine, however. Uh, we're going to trudge on anyway. And I mean, it's, it's, a, it's one of these great scenarios where my knowledge of the MAC is limited to three teams. I think that they are three solid teams we're talking about because one's in the middle of the Mac and they play Syracuse one's at the bottom of the Mac and coached by an ex Syracuse and the other team is probably the best team in the Mac. So I, I kind of, I get the high level overview. It's like my classes at Syracuse, just kind of get the basics of the top and the middle and pass through. No, that's fine. Yeah. There are only three teams in the Mac. It is, uh, <laughs> it, it, it is Ohio university by some name. Um, it's directional Michigan. And grab bag Indiana team, probably. Yeah, actually, when you put it that way, that that does sum up the Mac pretty succinctly. Although you did forget the pirate flag. Although I'm, I don't know if they're going to keep that up again this year. Well, that was a terrible idea. For those that forgot, the pirate flag. <laughs> pirate flag with this thing where where the Mac, a, a conference with with no pirate mascots to speak of, decided that that their one to two wins a year. Um, on on road fields, um, and apparently home fields too. It was basically against any Power Five team. Uh, deserved a pirate flag that that would be planted. I, I did anyone keep track of how many pirate flags they actually got to claim? Because I didn't look. I, it might have been none. Last I, year, I, 
I don't remember. I just remember Kevin had the post that broke down there. Oh, Western Michigan was Western Michigan fans were so pissed at us last year for like a variety (laughs) of reasons. That one in particular, though. Um, Oh, we had oh Akron actually got to claim the flag because they uh, they flew it after they beat you know Big Ten West champion Northwestern. I as 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 one does. I'm sorry, John. My brain just literally had to get rebooted because I forgot that one, Akron beat Northwestern, and two, that Northwestern actually has a divisional championship in the Big Ten. You know what? The Big Ten West, like, if you told us we had to go to the Big Ten, I'd love the Big Ten West. I feel like we could jump up and, and, and nail that thing every few years. <laughs> I, I, this, is, this is the moment. This is going to be one of, I think, several years where we as Syracuse fans start really complaining about our lot in uh conference realignment just because we're going to be a good team look at um you know the other acc divisions and other acc divisions out there and go we're in that division we'd we'd be winning and going to a new year six bowl almost guaranteed uh which probably not correct uh but i mean last year it wouldn't have been because we would have lost the tiebreaker to pit (laughs) pit won an acc is just so stupid. Yeah, I. Uh, while you've been talking, I've been looking to see who else lifted the flag last year. Uh, <laughs> Buffalo got to raise it when they uh, when they beat Rutgers. I, do, I you no, that doesn't count. Beating Rutgers does not count as a Power Five win. I agree. Uh, Eastern Michigan got to raise it against Purdue. At That's Purdue, brilliant. even oh, uh, love it. Okay, the pirate flag is redeemed just because of that game. Yeah, that's fair. Um, sorry, this is this is like excruciating radio, I'm sure, to some people. Uh, well, I can also talk about the fact that I think my favorite part about the pirate flag is that I am, again, now that we've turned this into a baseball podcast since we mentioned the Mets once, as a pirate's imagery is that when they win a game, they raise the Jolly Roger. Um, it's been this great thing that they do, whatever. Uh, the Mac was way more into the pirate flag than I've ever seen the Pittsburgh Pirates into a pirate flag so that's just the level of ridiculousness that this was at that if you can't be so utterly ridiculous about this uh you're taking this way too seriously yeah they uh there was only three flag raises last year i feel like this thing's not coming back no it's going to be something else it's going to be i mean this is this is straight noon's fodder that we need to get kevin in on but uh the mac will have some other goofy promotion for this uh, that I cannot wait to see. Cannot wait to see the poorly designed hype video for it, and I'm all here for it. Let's go. Give me like now you got me excited. The, the traveling bag of cheese curds, uh, <laughs> or, or 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 the or the little or the literal rust belt. <laughs> see now, I'm, I should be that, in the marketing department. That's actually what they should do. <laughs> the Mac having a rust belt that they bring. Would yeah. legitimately be the yeah. most college football internet thing that could a, a wrestling happen. a wrestling style belt that's just rusted um, on every inch. Like who? See, yeah, like like college football would actually love that. Two teams a year won it. Everyone would be fine with that. I I, I don't understand why we're why we're forcing pirates again when 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 rust belts just sitting there for you. Uh, Mac, please send us three things. We just gave you the best idea in the world. Yeah, we just gave you an amazing idea. Uh, let's talk about a couple of these teams in, in, in reality, however, uh, while we're here. Uh, personally, 
I feel like this is Ohio's league to lose. I feel like Toledo is always good, but I think that they might take a slight step back this year. Um, Western Michigan, I think, comes back pretty healthy, and their defense is among the most experienced in the country. Uh, That should be something, not a red flag for Syracuse fans necessarily, but at least something worth um, keeping an eye on. Uh, For Syracuse fans, I think this probably ends up being an Ohio versus Toledo MAC championship game with Ohio winning, but would also not be surprised if the Broncos managed to figure this out with uh, with the method cat himself uh, raising the MAC championship trophy. I mean, uh, just from listening to the podcast name played nobody team uh, talk about the MAC doing some reading. Um, it's it really is Frank Solich's year. It seems like this Ohio. Um, tenure that he's been on really could crescendo with the season. Uh, and I think that that's probably the safe bet. Uh, my friend who's uh, a big defender of all things Rust Belt and a Western Michigan fan and who was super optimistic about the team last year is ironically pretty down on the team this year. The defense does look really solid, but they lost two of their best offensive players to the transfer portal. Uh, and he seems to think that, and he is the entirety of my Western Michigan prep, uh, seems to think that that's really going to hurt them as they don't really have any other kind of weapons. So they, they're they going to have to win ugly, and I don't feel like that works very well in the MAC right now. I feel like the MAC is kind of the opposite direction, where teams and offenses are getting a little bit more spread out, they're a little bit more experimental, and they can take advantage of a team that wants to dumb down the game. Yeah, I got that. I guess the, the the big caveat there would be, you know, Syracuse isn't a team that wants to dumb down the game. <laughs> so that uh, that certainly helps us quite a bit. And yeah, I think I, yeah, I think Syracuse wins that Western Michigan game pretty pretty handily. Um, but again, I I have this sneaking suspicion in the back of my head that um, every game in September minus Clemson is going to be at like a 40% playbook. And I just, I hate when teams do that. I get why they do it. Uh, I know there's reasons for it, but man, it just annoys me when you're really only running at like 40% of your potential capacity. It's like, it's like you're putting your, putting a lock on yourself. Yeah. I, I get it to some extent. I think it depends on who you're facing, who you are, what your expectations are. Like, yeah, we're, we're not really going to see much. I think we could see a decent amount against Western Michigan this year, if only because I feel like the bag by the Clemson game about what this team is going to try to do uh, with a lot of its personnel. They're going to have to really, I think, open up the entire playbook to beat the Tigers this year if they have any shot to do so. And then, you know, Liberty, ugh. We're not, we're not going to preview the whole season. I'm just saying Liberty's not a slouch, and Maryland certainly isn't either. So I think we might actually see a lot more out of the Syracuse playbook during the first four to five games than we, than we did last year. I, th- that would be nice, and it, it would make sense since DeVito at this point should be pretty well-versed in everything. The receiver core is is pretty much all there. Um, so, yeah, Mac preview. Syracuse is going to open up the playbook for next year. Um, but, you know. Kind of the other the other interesting team in the MAC is Kent State, if nothing else, because Sean Lewis is the head coach there, and everything that everybody told us when Sean Lewis left it was that you know good for Sean Lewis, really glad that he's taking this job, um, but man, this is a tough job. Man, this is a really rough job for a first time head coach. 
111th in S&P last year, which is very, very bad. Um, but every, Bill C. seems to think that they're going to take a jump, although it's not really hard to take a jump when you're at 111th. Um, but it seems like everybody who's from around the program really likes Sean Lewis and likes the direction he's taking it in. So good one for the Dino Babers coaching tree, I guess. Yeah, the growing Dino Babers uh, coaching tree, which to be honest is one of the main reasons why I, I think we have a shot to keep him around is because it's not a large tree and because most fan bases and, and, and well, fans of teams that could actually like hire him away wouldn't let him just take the whole band down with him. Yeah. Which, I mean, we've seen it before too. Like, you know, coaches at, at quote unquote lesser schools, like want to bring like their, their, their crew. And like, um, I know, I know like Florida state in particular, a, a program that would very much be on the short list of, of schools that could hire Dino away. If they decide to fire Willie Taggart, like they did not love that, you know, Jimbo Fisher didn't have um, like really big names at coordinator I know Miami fans, you know, Ohio State fans, Texas fans, Oklahoma fans, like all of those fan bases really need bigger names at coordinator and even USC fans, like they need bigger names at coordinator. And like, I, I love our assistance, but we don't have big names at coordinator. Um, and, and we're not going to because Dino likes to ride with his guys and he likes to bring them from one stop to the next and, and find success. So I, I do feel like, that could be a benefit to Syracuse, but I don't want to oversell that hand either. Yeah, I, and I think one of the most promising things about seeing Sean Lewis succeed, uh, not that it's needed, but you know, there is this belief that Dino uh, is bringing a sustainable system to Syracuse. This isn't a flash in the pan. This isn't something that teams are going to just simply adjust to and then back to being bad in Dino's system as a gimmick. Uh, I think that Dino is this is very smart and he's very intelligent and he uses that intelligence to be charismatic with the media so that he never has to tell us anything. It's one of the most interesting things about Dino Babers to date is that um, he can go out to a media that's, you know, I respect a lot of the football beat writers who work for the post standard and are covering this team day in and day out. They get next to nothing from him. And he is such a good people person that he doesn't make you feel bad about it in the way that other football coaches that we have had previous uh, did. And I think that Dino is a smart dude. And I think he hires smart dudes who might not have the big name experience them. He gets them into the system and then the system tends to work out on the whole and seeing Sean Lewis succeed. I think would lend a lot of credence to that idea that Dino Babers is intelligent and is hiring intelligent people, even if they might not be the biggest names. Oh, completely. I mean, we all remember the fire ward nonsense from the first two seasons and how quickly that went away. Um, probably by like game two or three um, of this past season when the defense was actually a guiding force for Syracuse uh, in terms of wins and is going to be again this year, but keeping us back on track with the Mac. <laughs> Uh, even when we're off topic, we can't stay off topic. Then we get on topic. Um, Andy, if there's one surprising team in the MAC, um, keeping in mind that the, that the three best teams are definitely Ohio, Toledo, and Western Michigan, there's a surprising team outside of that group. Uh, who would you think it is? Do you think it's Kent State, or do you think somebody else is able to kind of jump up and maybe contend for a division title, even if they don't ultimately win it? I, you, I can never count out Buffalo. Is doing anymore um they they have 
have a pretty consistent defense that, you know, has a decent success rate according to S&P Plus. Um, their offense last season uh, was one of the more successful and explosive offenses according to S&P Plus. Uh, so it feels weird to be having this conversation and just not even mention them. Uh, but again, I... I, they're so far removed from the Turner Gale era. They're so far removed from a lot of that success that kind of put place that uh, I, I don't know if they're ever, if they're go, if what Buffalo has right now can compete with what Ohio has right now. But I think Buffalo is good enough to maybe give Ohio a game or give uh, Toledo a game. So that's always something worth watching for. Yeah. I mean, Buffalo was obviously really good last year. Um, they had a really dynamic offense. Uh, Terry Jackson, uh, was obviously pretty good. I, I think in general, like they, they looked the part of, I know they were around the top 25 for a bit. They didn't look the part of a top 25 team necessarily, but they looked the part of a very, very good, um, you know, G5 squad. And I think they lose a few too many pieces this year to, to repeat that success. But I do think that they're probably a contender in the East. If I have to see a surprise contender, mine might actually be Eastern Michigan, oddly. Mm. I, I I know that, that this is like just uncharted territory for them if they do figure this out. <laughs> uh, but, you know, EMU has been upgrading their talent levels slowly but surely. They are a team that is well coached. They're a team that is able to usually spring a surprise on, on, on a, an opponent or two over the course of a season lately. I think that, you know, if, if the Mac West kind of descends into chaos as it has in some recent seasons, uh, you know, that's how... Uh, EMU might be able to to kind of burst through and get themselves a uh, MAC championship game bid. Yeah, I I definitely. It's just so weird for me to think about. Like I I remember um, when I worked at when I was at Syracuse, I worked at Sidearm Sports as customer service, and we I would work a Saturday morning shift almost all, all the time, and I would have EMU would always be playing a football game. We didn't have any kind of TV deal. Uh, they were streaming only football telecast, and no one was at their games. And it's weird to think that in that short of a window, they've kind of turned themselves into a MAC team that's worth watching. Uh, it, it's it's remarkable to me how quickly that that turnaround is for them. And like you said, I they're they're only getting better. They're sure. Indeed. Um... So, yeah, I think we're both aligned on who wins this league. Andy, do you think there's anything else that, that, that we need to know about any of these teams? Is there can, – can Jim McElwain get the Chippewas back to the whole game? <laughs> I, I, I guess I, – can, can he stop humping sharks? Uh, there's the, – I think one of my favorite things about Central Michigan is that if you just go back throughout their coaching history, uh, this is just so not – Central Michigan, the already crazy dude. They typically hire a dude who eventually goes crazy later on. Uh, cough, cough, Brian Kelly. Um, but they they are typically so good about going and finding the up and coming person who will be the hot commodity and go, and having Jim McElwain just screams anti Central Michigan to to a large extent. Um, but I, I, they're a directional Michigan team that's in the top half of the MAC. They should go six and six. They should a bowl game since there's enough bowls out there now. Um, but I don't know if Central Michigan's actually a 6-16 six and 16 that makes it to a bowl game and you go, let's watch them. 
I think they're I think they're probably nowhere near the level that they need to be to be competing in the MAC that at least that Central Michigan fans are used to. But again, you have Jim McElwain. I have no idea if this if he he reached enlightenment and is now uh, the level of Frank Solich and and become a MAC coaching guru. Yeah, I feel like he's probably not going to get there since his success was like in spite of himself at Florida and was always like kind of hit or miss at Colorado State. But yeah, maybe he pulls it off. I mean, there's enough probably recruiting connections where he's able to to mine some talent. Like, you know, I always feel like these teams like I and I feel like they don't necessarily do this, but I feel like whichever MAC team figures out like the best way to get you know third tier Florida talent and talent from outside of the, the, the natural footprint is probably what's going to win this league. You know, there, there's so much, there, there's so many schools competing for, you know, the top kids in Ohio and Indiana and Illinois and Michigan that like, you might be better off moving away from, from, I mean, I, I know Marshall used to do this when they were in the Mac um, West Virginia, obviously being like Midwest adjacent slash South adjacent. Um, where they would just get a ton of, uh, of Florida kids and basically run rings around uh, at the time, you know, the, the, the mostly Midwest stocked uh, rosters that, that were also in the MAC with them. So I think that there's, there's something to be said for the idea. I don't think any teams necessarily leaned into it too heavily lately. And, and you know, maybe, maybe CMU is the one with, uh, with, with whatever Florida uh, recruiting ties McElwain has left. I mean, Central Michigan's produced Antonio Brown they found him in Florida and um you know he's somebody who I think um if you're Central Michigan you know I don't care how crazy Antonio Brown is right now you are asking him to pull an Aaron Donald and and basically sponsor your entire football department right now while he's still got money to to throw around uh and that's your best opportunity right now at developing a program that can be uh, more consistent in the Mac than just these fleeting glimpses that you get. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, if McElwain never struck me as an X's and O guys and everybody who succeeds in the Mac typically strikes me as like a solid X's and O's coach. Um, so seeing him succeed would just be so not what I'm used to that I, I've just not entered it into my mind as a, as a possibility. Yeah, that's fair. I, uh, I, I think I think it's a different way to to reset the calculus on on what a Mac coach looks like, what a Mac program looks like. But we'll see. I, I have some optimism here that that it could work out better than people think. Yeah, uh, I, it's it's the Mac. It's it's fun to watch. Can't wait for some action on Tuesday nights. Things that I look forward to in the fall. <laughs> same same. I I think we actually talked about the Mac for more time than I thought we'd be able to, and. Uh, Nice work, Andy. I, I, I think you acquitted yourself just fine. <laughs> I mean, the Rust Belt really just inspired me. It brought out the Mac in me. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. You, 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 you are from a Rust Belt adjacent area. Um, uh, very much so. So, yeah, you, you, you were really a natural for this, to be honest. I think, I, I think having two uh, you know, liberal coastal elites talking about, talking about the Midwest on this episode was probably never going to go well. <laughs> Again, we have come up with the best marketing idea for the Mac that has ever existed and they should send us free stuff. And I'm, take I'm the honestly, idea. 
I'm honestly tweeting at them as we speak. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> let's let, let's do this. <laughs> Andy, anything else before we go? Uh, or, or, or do you think we, we are good? We're going to close out for the week. I mean, I, I feel like it would be remiss. Um, we're not on college football Twitter. Um, Bill Connolly is leaving SB Nation. Announced that today, um, or, or I guess if you're listening to this on Thursday, yesterday. Um, Bill C has been probably one years for advanced football statistics in the college football online world. Um, I know that I rely pretty heavily on his um, advanced numbers for my football knowledge and my football previews. And some people don't like the numbers because Syracuse in years where we have success. Um, and other people, you know, don't like the idea of a computer doing a better job than what they think they can do with their eyes. Um, but Bill C was a really good football guy to have at SB Nation. And he brought to our ecosystem uh, just on a whole is is – can't be measured in kind of the way that that we've talked about football. And I know that he said that it, uh, you know, they've got their last podcast out um, and they kind of said that he's transitioning to a job that's not with SB nation, but still going to be public facing and he's still going to be talking about college football. So sounds like he's probably joining the athletic or ESPN or, or somebody big. Um, and we'll still talk about football at a national level. But uh, it's tough to see somebody, you know, in our kind of SB Nation starting off on the small side, starting off like covering a team. He's a, he's a, he's a guy who has Mizzou season tickets and goes to Mizzou tailgates. I think that's something that Syracuse fans and the writers of Moon's Magician pretty, pretty much empathize. Indeed, indeed. Uh, very much looking forward to seeing what Bill's up to next. Um, been a reader of his for years. He's had a lot of people that listen to this podcast and read the blog. So excited for his next opportunities. And obviously, SB Nation does lose, uh, you know, a really strong voice for college football and, and somebody that, you know, really framed a lot of the, the voice and conversation around college football uh, for SB Nation and, and made it such a, a staple of that, you know, at this point, year long conversation. Um, on that note, uh, that was Andy. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Megaphone. On I know we're on Google. We're on I think Amazon as a podcast thing. I don't know. Uh, there's a bunch of different places that you can listen to us. Uh, please be sure to do so at wherever you can. Say some nice things if you have nice things to say. If you don't, that's cool too. Maybe instead of saying a negative thing on uh, about the show on a public place, maybe email us and ask and tell us how we might be able to do better. And we're happy to address that. <laughs> anyway, thanks as always, and go orange. See ya.